I was shaking. I, I saw blue and yellow. You know, the funny thing is, I'm Ukrainian. The shocking scene stunned members of a Russian community center in B.C. saw and their message to the vandals. Plus... I don't know anyone who lives outside of Russia who is supporting this. This is insane. Another show of support for Ukraine as hundreds gather in Vancouver amid the escalating war. And... We've seen a lot of people actually sell their cars for electric unicycles, especially with the rising gas costs. BC's high gas prices could supercharge electric vehicle sales as the Taxi Association calls for a break. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A shocking and disturbing discovery this morning at a Russian community center in Vancouver. An entrance to the center was vandalized this morning with blue and yellow paint just a day after a Russian church in Victoria was also targeted by vandals. As Julia Foy reports, that has members of BC's Russian community reluctantly speaking out over being drawn into a conflict they want no part of. There was shock and sadness as dozens of families arrived to attend school at the Russian community center in Vancouver, only to find the front doors had been vandalized. I was shaking. I saw blue and yellow. You know, the funny thing is, I'm Ukrainian. Hundreds of students were expected to attend classes today on Russian language, history and heritage. Instead, they were told to go home. We have people from multiple nationalities. Whoever wants to learn the Russian language is more than welcome to come. We have an orchestra, we have a dance group. Um, it's, it's all about celebrating the culture and the language. Parents and children are heartbroken. I'm sad because we will not have a school today. We're here to learn. We're here to teach. It's like bring politics into it. It's like not what we're here about. Stupid people because the most of people in this school are Ukrainian. Vancouver police are investigating the incident. Earlier this week, a Russian Orthodox church in Victoria was also hit with paint. At Holy Nativity Orthodox Church in Langley, the pastor says his congregation is multicultural. We have Romanians, Russians, Ukrainians, Arabs of several different nationalities. Gillis says fear and hate have no place in our society. To strike out against people of Russian descent, like Canadians, because of what their dictator back home is doing, just it doesn't make sense. It only makes it worse. The paint will be cleaned off the Russian community center soon. But removing the pain could take much longer. I was choking back tears, and I, I am now. Um, to have people filled with so much hatred over something that, that is a half a world away. It's school kids. It's just kids like who like playing with each other, like, I don't know, making some friends. It's for future. Julia Foy, Global News. For the second straight weekend, many British Columbians are feeling compelled to demonstrate their support for an end of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. As Paul Johnson reports, hundreds rallied at the Vancouver Art Gallery today. Another large rally by British Columbia's growing and increasingly diverse Ukraine solidarity movement. Though still, you can't walk more than five feet without finding someone who can show you fresh images of 
family and friends sheltering in basements and boiler rooms or acquiring and training with weapons. I want to make sure that I can be the voice of the Russian people who are against. This woman tells us that in the Russian expat community in B.C., she hasn't heard a single voice of support for the war. Everybody is opposed. Everybody? A hundred percent, yes. A hundred percent, yeah. I don't know anyone who lives outside of Russia who is supporting this. This is insane. She also reminded us that had she said that in Moscow, she'd face 15 years in prison. With the war about to enter its third week, there's more emphasis to gather and send items like body armor and medical supplies. And more people who tell us they know men here trying to make their way to Ukraine to join the defense forces. Standing up for everyone. Among the speakers, Environment Minister George Heyman said his colleagues in provincial cabinet are shocked and outraged and may actually have some meaningful levers they can pull. We have in British Columbia the only system that does not allow land registry and ownership to be hidden behind numbered companies. So I know that our government is carefully looking to discover any land holdings by Russian oligarchs. Expect more demonstrations throughout British Columbia in the coming days. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A smaller but no less powerful gathering in support of Ukraine was held in Langley today. Prayers were held at Douglas Park Spirit Square this morning, followed by performances of classical Ukrainian music. Dozens attended, all in order to make their support for the people of Ukraine known. People of Langley are really supportive, and um, I think it speaks to the heart of most people. Ukraine... Um, is is a nation in and of itself and to have another country come in and and decide to make it part of their country just didn't doesn't sit well with a lot of people so we're here today to support and convey that message that freedom is important and solidarity with ukrainian people is is key Kelowna stands with ukraine is preparing for another weekend rally basically preparation for the rally we have tomorrow at 2 p.m uh, on uh, landmark uh, Parkinson uh, overpass uh, and uh, we just uh, th that was my idea to make as much as possible different crafts flags uh, obviously uh, that we will uh, just uh, uh, exchange for the nation uh, tomorrow more than a dozen volunteers showed up at the Kelowna Ukrainian Catholic Church this afternoon to create blue and yellow flags lapel ribbons and bracelets Many hard at work here are anxious about their own families back in Ukraine. Yes, my whole family, my grandparents and my cousins, my uncle, my aunts, they're all in Ukraine right now. They say that they hear like sirens and that they have to hide and run. And I'm really worried for them. All I can do is really like just support them from afar. I don't know, tell people about it, like help in the rallies and everything. I don't know. All of the items volunteers make today will be offered to those who make a donation to the Ukraine cause. Metro Vancouver motorists continue to pay the highest gas prices in North America. Taxi and limo drivers in our province are now calling for relief from record-breaking fuel costs, while the market for personal electric vehicles is growing as commuters seek alternatives. Kristen Robinson reports. 
The price of gas holding at more than $2 a litre in Vancouver Saturday, while some stations saw a slight dip to one ninety nine nine. Is there a price where you will change your driving habits? <laughs> Again, as if I could afford to, I would. You know what yeah. I mean? I can't. I got to work. Those who drive for a living also don't have a choice. This is hurting us much more. Everybody doesn't need to be on the road. We have to as essential service. Taxi meter rates are set by the Passenger Transportation Board and drivers can't charge more. The BC Taxi Association wants provincial regulators to give them a break and approve a fuel surcharge similar to the 3.5% fee introduced in July 2008 when gas prices surpassed $1.35 a litre. They should have done it yesterday. You know, they knew the price was going up. The PTB says the annual taxi and limousine cost index review is underway to identify rate increases for taxis based on the consumer price index. It's got really good suspension, so it absorbs all the bumps. Since opening in March 2021, EVs says the demand for personal electric vehicles has soared. The store ran out of inventory last June, but has since stocked up. It's just blowing up so fast that the market can't keep up. We've seen a lot of people actually sell their cars for electric unicycles, especially with the rising gas costs. An EUC ranges from $1,400 to $5,000. Bradley Spence rides to work in Chinatown from Kits every day. The six-kilometer commute takes 10 minutes, he says, five minutes faster than driving. Most people look at them and be like, ah, there's no way I could learn how to ride that. But EVs offers free lessons and says self-balancing is easier than it looks. As we just saw a 75-year-old last weekend. Kristen Robinson, Global News. WestJet is donating $25,000 to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine. The money will be split between the Red Cross Ukraine Humanitarian Crisis Appeal and the Canadian Ukrainian Foundation. The Calgary-based airline is also providing flight vouchers to Canadian humanitarian workers traveling to London and has withdrawn from its interline partnership with Russia's national airline Aeroflot. To show support, WestJet has added a decal under the pilot's window of six aircraft displaying the Ukrainian flag. A Richmond-based news distribution company has had some services knocked offline by a cyber attack. Press Reader carries more than 7,000 publications, including the Vancouver Sun and such big-name magazines as and newspapers such as The Economist and The New York Times. On Wednesday, technicians noted something was wrong. The company says security teams found a cybersecurity incident, and it comes as many companies across North America have seen an increase in security incidents over the past several weeks. The company took everything offline as a precaution and has been working to re-establish service since Thursday evening. And breaking news, RCMP now say one person has died of their injuries after a rock fell on their vehicle near the B.C.-Alberta border. RCMP say it happened shortly before 4 o'clock Friday afternoon in a canyon area of Highway 1, about 4 kilometres east of Golden. One person was rushed to a local hospital, but police confirmed this afternoon that the victim has since succumbed to their injuries. No word on how many people were travelling in the vehicle at the time. RCMP are investigating after a vehicle went into a water-filled ditch in Surrey. Police say the incident happened at 11.34 this morning in the 13600 block of Colebrook Road. 
Two people were rushed to hospital. One of them is in critical condition. A neighbor says the vehicle was trying to do a U-turn when it rolled into the ditch and flipped. A passenger in the Toyota was able to get out. A tractor was brought in to get the vehicle upright again. Any witnesses are asked to call Surrey RCMP. And a 27-year-old driver from Maple Ridge was killed early this morning after a black Chrysler heading east on Terminal Avenue slammed into a concrete SkyTrain pillar. Attempts were made to save the man, but he died on scene. The VPD's Collision Investigation Unit is now looking into whether speed and alcohol were factors in the crash. A deadly drunk driver's passenger was sentenced Friday for obstructing police following a fatal hit-and-run on Vancouver Island. Ryan Grobe was sentenced to six years in prison last September after pleading guilty to impaired driving causing the death of 32-year-old Spencer Alexander Moore in August of 2019. Grobe's passenger, 32-year-old Travis Zachary Taylor, received a 12-month conditional sentence for willfully attempting to obstruct pervert or defeat the course of justice. Grobe admitted he was highly intoxicated when he drove his pickup home from a local pub and struck more in the middle of the road. And after the break, how the pandemic has impacted some more than others. Black Canadians, specifically on the West Coast, have been forgotten by the healthcare system. The research that finds a disproportionate effect on the mental health of black British Columbians. Plus, the allegations from Kelowna RCMP that have the BC Prosecution Service firing back. What have been the experiences of black British Columbians during the COVID-19 pandemic? As Amada Gahi reports, studies are now starting to reveal what some of BC's black community have endured when it comes to everything from their mental health to their financial well-being. I think that black Canadians, specifically on the West Coast, have been forgotten by the healthcare system. Jennifer Magabo is the advocacy co-lead with Black Physicians of BC, and she is sharing what are now well-documented and disproportionate effects the pandemic has had on black British Columbians. I think that these are things that maybe people within the black community have known for a while, but without explicit data. The race-based data comes from the BC CDC Speak Survey, with more than 188,000 participants. Gabo's findings within the survey show significantly more black respondents reported poor current mental health as compared to their non-black counterparts. 60% of black respondents reported their mental health has gotten worse during the pandemic and almost 90% of black respondents were concerned for the future. She is also able to pinpoint that significantly more black respondents experienced employment changes for the worse more than a third reporting meeting financial needs to be more difficult during the pandemic and 17% worried about food insecurity. I think at the core of that is systemic racism in the institutions that we operate in. Um, black Canadians are more likely to be poor, have unstable housing, have issues with employment, and I think all those things contribute to one's mental health. She and others advocating for the black community and its access to targeted public health initiatives see this as a critical opportunity to improve. People want to begin to see action and results within the community. The government should ensure that they like act on recommendations. I see people firsthand dealing with this. I work in healthcare, so I see the impacts. and. I think the more people that know, the more um, 
hopefully the more initiatives and, and solutions come out of that. She also says there is going to be a long way to go in breaking a pattern of historical stigma and mistrust of the health care system within the black community, who oftentimes face barriers trying to access mental health services that may be available. Emadagahi, Global News. The B.C. Prosecution Service is vehemently refuting Kelowna RCMP statistics regarding criminal files being forwarded to Crown Counsel. The service issuing some very strong words regarding public comments made by Kelowna RCMP's superintendent to City Council. Darian Matassafung has more. Grossly inaccurate. Those are the words chosen by the B.C. Prosecution Service when responding to Kelowna RCMP's superintendent's public comments regarding hundreds of criminal files that she said were awaiting charge approval status. Kelowna RCMP's superintendent Kara Tryant said in a presentation to City Council on Monday, 78% of charges sent to the BCPS still have not been assessed and that the total number of charges for the year, including violence, mischief and other offenses, were 3,358 with 2,675 awaiting assessment, which is nearly 80%. In a press release, the B.C. Prosecution Service had strong words for Kelowna RCMP's superintendent. These statements are grossly inaccurate and they unjustifiably cast doubt on the professionalism and effectiveness of the hardworking Crown Council. There is no Crown charge assessment backlog and this is not an issue of differences in systems or tracking. The Crown goes on to say that the overwhelming majority of reports received from Kelowna RCMP were assessed by Crown Counsel within 30 days or less. According to the BC Prosecution Service, Tryance apologized for making her comments and acknowledged the statements were inaccurate. Kelowna RCMP were unavailable for an interview, but did say in an email, we're working closely with the BC Prosecution Service to provide more accurate and consistent information that will help all of us better understand what needs to be done to address property crime in our community. However, in a separate statement, the BC Prosecution Service has also acknowledged that a lack of government funding for more Crown prosecutors in Kelowna threatens public safety. We have been asking the government since 2017 for additional funding to address the understaffing issue in the Kelowna office. Our prosecutors have worked essentially without a break for more than a year. They work nights and weekends to get the job done. They are under incredible stress and comments implying they are somehow not doing their jobs is hurtful to our hardworking members in Kelowna. The B.C. Prosecution Service continued with, when Crown offices are not adequately resourced, there runs a real risk of justice not being served, especially true in Kelowna, one of the fastest growing regions in the province. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. We return to our top story after this break with the latest from Ukraine as Russia breaks a ceasefire while refugees flood the country's borders. Also ahead, the pilot program credited with helping an Okanagan man survive a heart attack. Stay with us. Returning to our top story now, Ukrainian officials say Russia has broken a temporary ceasefire that would have allowed hundreds of thousands of civilians to flee fierce fighting in the country's southeast. As David Aiken reports, the international community says it's further demonstration of Russia's bad faith. The Ukrainian city of Mariupol, a port on the Sea of Azov, has been surrounded by Russian troops for days. Many of its 450,000 residents without water, electricity or heat as bombs and shells rain down 
on civilians desperate for shelter. There had been hope that at least half of those residents might have been allowed to leave under a ceasefire that would have guaranteed a humanitarian corridor. But it was not to be as Russian bombs continued to fall. We continue working without electricity, water and heat, this doctor says. We have some issues with supplies. We work more than a week without a break. Municipal officials say the city may run out of food. We don't have food supplies, says this woman. People are taking everything. Shops are empty. It was the same in Volnovaha, a smaller city of 21,000 in the eastern Donetsk region. A ceasefire to allow citizens there to escape, also broken by Russian shelling. The, the weakness of everything that's happening is that we're relying on the good faith of the Russians, which we can't do. They've just invaded. Meanwhile, reluctant refugees fill camps on Ukraine's borders. When they tell my mom that I will go to save my life, mom was crying and tell me that, that maybe she never see me again. It was, it was most scary words which I heard in my life. International authorities say by the end of the weekend, more than 1.5 million people will have fled Ukraine. David Aiken, Global News. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited the Ukrainian border to show support for people affected by the war. Blinken went to a border crossing point between Poland and Ukraine today, visiting with Ukrainian refugees amid the mounting concerns about this refugee crisis. Blinken even crossed the border into western Ukraine to meet with the Ukrainian foreign minister. We've come from several days of meetings with uh, NATO, the European Union, uh, countries beyond the G7, uh, and we see that support not only uh, continued security support, humanitarian support, economic support, but uh, that support will increase. Ukraine will win this war anyway, because this is the people's war for their land, and we defend the right cause. The question is the price, the price of our victory. And if our partners continue to take bold, systemic decisions to step up economic and political pressure on Ukraine, if they continue to provide us with necessary weapons, the price will be lower. To health matters now, the Okanagan is a testing ground for a pilot program that's seeing some paramedics trained to diagnose cardiac arrests in the field in hopes of improving patient outcomes. As Megan Turcato reports, a Vernon man believes he owes his life to the new service. I think I owe my life to those guys. Doug Bigelow believes the heart attack he suffered in January could have killed him if it had taken longer to get to specialized care at Kelowna General Hospital. At the hospital. Like it was just minutes before uh, they had the uh, angioplasty done, I had the blockage removed. I know that I had some kind of cardiac arrhythmia, you know, and I had to be shocked a couple of times and had chest compressions. So I know it was very tight. Bigelow was on his rural property outside of Vernon when the first symptoms started and the pain only got worse as his wife drove them towards the Vernon Hospital. 
The pair ended up calling 911 and meeting paramedics on the way. We moved the patient into the ambulance where we performed a 12-lead electrocardiogram and confirmed the fact that he was in fact having a heart attack. We then transmitted that 12-lead electrocardiogram to the emergency department in Kelowna, uh, had a quick consult with the doctor on the phone and uh, agreed that we would bypass Vernon Hospital and take the patient directly to the Kelowna cath lab. Saving precious time by getting that heart attack diagnosis in the field is the goal of a heart attack management project in the Okanagan that's now available from Enderby to Penticton. It allows patients who would benefit from specialized care in Kelowna to go directly to KGH without stopping at their local hospital. When you're having a heart attack, time is muscle. You've got a blocked coronary artery that's uh, depriving a certain portion of your heart muscle of blood and oxygen. That piece of the heart muscle is actually dying. So the quicker you can get that blood vessel opened up, the better outcome the patient's going to have. 76-year-old Bigelow feels getting diagnosed in the ambulance made all the difference. Like, I think I probably wouldn't be alive without that. After two hospital stays, Bigelow is now back at home, slowly recovering. Megan Turcato, Global News, near Vernon. Coming up, Indigenous lessons for students. People, Indigenous educators, myself, uh, we have been asking for this, wanting this for a very long time. Reaction to the province's incoming requirement for high school students to complete Indigenous-focused coursework to graduate. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. How the PE is giving gratitude to first responders after a fire tore through its warehouse. That's after weather. But first, the weather is proving to be picture perfect for the first day of the West Van Run on the North Shore this morning. Three, two, one. People of all ages coming out to the seventh annual event, which promotes running and physical activity while supporting local organizations. Participants can choose to walk or run along a five or ten kilometer route today and tomorrow. The scenic journey takes runners through Marine Drive, the Park Royal area, Ambleside Park and the Centennial Seawalk. The turnout, another sign of how many are grateful to be able to safely gather in person once again. It's so important to get people back together in person again and I think we're seeing a real attitude of gratitude as I like to say out there. People are just so glad to be able to be in person and uh, taking part in a sport that we all love. So nice to see as we bring in Kasia Badurka for a look at the forecast. It was a beautiful day for it wasn't it? it and was. this is just a beautiful ending yes. to this kind of day. Hey, uh, from the Wall Center Tower Cam, I gotta get out of the way. You don't want to look at me. Look at this. Uh, it is still 7 degrees, west-northwesterly flow of 24 kilometers per hour. Our daytime high was had at 10 degrees and signs of spring everywhere among us. Some crocuses, they're popping along the Coquitlam River. Cheryl Marie took this earlier today in Poco and crashed ice, migrating, melting ice over Skaha Lake. Thank you to Mark Wilson for taking this very cool video. I love it. And this is a reflection of the kind of day that we had today. I decided to match the forecast today. Look at that. Uh, Boundary Bay, Peter Skur. We love your photos and videos on a daily basis. But wow, look at that stunning sky. A very similar weather picture in store for tomorrow. A few more clouds in the mix expected. We've got 11 degrees being our daytime high. And it's not until Monday that we're anticipating a little more cloud cover over the south coast. But these kind of weather conditions, all thanks to this ridge of high pressure 
the daytime high today, for instance, but also because of high pressure, no cloud cover insulating the heat that we generated today. So it just escapes into the upper atmosphere. And then we've got cold conditions for the overnight. So chilly overnight, lows minus nine in Kamloops, minus seven in Kelowna, minus 15 Fort St. John and two for Vancouver. So really keeping warm. Uh, Meanwhile, we do have a weather system directed up north. That's not going to be impacting us for some time. A lot of activity happening stateside. Look at those thunderstorms. They spawned several tornadoes in Iowa. I'm sure you'll be hearing about that in the news eventually. Uh, And that will also be producing very strong winds in the Great Lakes Basin tomorrow in the red. Those are very strong winds, 100K winds expected tomorrow. Isn't that something? It's going to be 17 degrees tomorrow in Toronto as a result of that front that's going to be moving through, but it could spawn some thunderstorms as well. The rest of the country looking seasonal and far more normal than what we're seeing in southern Ontario. Up here, we've got another fair weather day, though we'll notice an increase in cloudiness. Temperatures a little bit above seasonal. Above seasonal over here across the southern half of the province, nine for Kelowna. Sunny skies looking good. And another sunny one for us across the south coast with temperatures very similar to what we saw today. There's a look at your long-range forecast for Metro Vancouver. There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Kasia. Well, staff from the PE and Playland are thanking the emergency crews who responded to a devastating warehouse fire two weeks ago. PE President Shelley Frost visited Vancouver Fire Halls and met with VPD members on Friday to personally thank the firefighters who battled the flames and the police who first spotted the fire at Hastings Park. About 20 vehicles were damaged on February 20th when fire tore through a warehouse in the PE works yard that housed equipment and memorabilia. The archives were saved and the PE says the losses could have been much worse had it not been for the fast firefight. The VPD is investigating the fire as suspicious. Gesture I'm sure appreciated by all and we appreciate you being here Barry for a preview of what's coming up in sports. I didn't get the memo about pastel Saturday. (laughs) I'm always navy blue regardless. Uh, Well, uh, kind of a nail-biting day for uh, Vancouver sports fans. Whitecaps played their home opener at BC Place uh, with the roof open on a beautiful day against New York City FC. Highlights of that. Canucks down to the wire against the Leafs. It's been up and down, but Vancouver leads late. So that could be final by the time we're up in a few minutes. All right. Keep a close eye on that. Thanks very much, Barry. Also ahead, reaction to BC's new high school graduation requirement. How do we do this? What does this mean? Where's the funding? And that, unfortunately, is because of a legacy of underfunding. And the many questions from teachers about what they call a long overdue and positive change involving Indigenous-focused coursework. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. The B.C. government has announced high school students will soon be required to complete Indigenous-focused coursework in order to graduate. Many are calling the change long overdue and an important step in recognizing the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act. But some teachers are asking questions about what it will look like and how they'll be supported in making the shift. This one is actually French 
um, you know, to, to end, uh, and uh, sorry, English. So like I could use that in a French classroom. From books written by Indigenous authors. This is a project out of uh, the Native Women's Association of Canada. It's called the Faceless Dolls. To this material used in their march for the missing and murdered, Surrey High School teacher Annie Ohana says she's excited about more schools using resources like this with BC's incoming requirement for grade 12 graduates to complete Indigenous coursework. What I see it as is we can do it through PE, we can do it through English, through social studies, through art. Like there's so many different directions this could take. In collaboration with the First Nations Education Steering Committee, the Ministry of Education is proposing the requirement begins in the 2023 to 2024 school year. But the school Ohana teaches at has already made the shift. So at Matheson, this school year, all grade 12s will graduate with a, with an Indigenous-focused course as a requirement. And she says to do it meaningfully, funding Indigenous representation in schools and training are critical. We're still in this era of underfunding, so th this would mean a lot more, like the budget that just came out. I don't think a lot of teachers were happy with it. Well, now you have this coming, you know, in the next year and a half. Uh, yeah, what does that look like, right? Does the budget even cover that? This change comes at an important time, says Cookby Judy Wilson. First Nations are investigating you know, the residential school sites and, you know, disclosing that. What are they talking about in the education uh, settings, the classrooms? She says, especially as a formal review of systemic racism in B.C. schools has never been done, this is an important step in acting on the recommendations from the Truth and Reconciliation Report. I'm really happy to see this day and age. Everything's changing now and it'll be a better uh, learning environment for our students. Indigenous cultures since time immemorial have had some incredible ways to like steward the land. We need to be learning from that. And, and I'm really excited that maybe we're turning this corner. Online public engagement for feedback on the proposed approach opens on March 7th. Barry's back with the full sports cast after this break. And later, big money in old sneakers at one of the most popular and longest running sneaker events in Vancouver this weekend. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Find some ways to spruce up your home at the BC Home and Garden Show. From kitchen and baths to flooring and more, head to BC Place to see the latest trends, get new ideas and inspiration, and hear expert advice from local experts and HGTV's Brian Baumlin. But don't miss the world-famous Monster Jam coming to the Pacific Coliseum. See world-class drivers compete in their supersized trucks, doing incredible stunts in this high-octane show that is sure to leave families on the edge of their seats. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast, and is the Canucks game still going on? Or just just okay. finished up, and uh, kind of a surprise ending here, which is good for the Canucks. I'll spoil that. Thanks very much, Nithu. The last time the Canucks faced the Maple Leafs, Thatcher Demko turned in his most magnificent performance of the year in a season full of them. He made 51 saves on 53 shots as he literally stole two points from the Maple Leafs. That game was in Vancouver. Tonight, the two teams met again in Toronto, and the rest of the Canucks were we're hoping to make Demko's night a little less busy. Brock Besser, no goals in his last six, but J.T. Miller, eight-game point streak. They are line mates, and they would 
have a factor in this one. Doesn't take Miller long to make it a nine-game streak. Pounces on the rebound. Fires home his 22nd. 16 points during that story in a streak for Miller. He's in the NHL's top 10. He is the Canucks' best player, at least best forward, far and away. But Leafs get it back on a power play. Travis Hamonick caught on the pinch, a three-on-one break. John Tavares all day long to snap it home. That busts a 14-game goalless drought for the Leafs' captain. Ties it up 1-1. But late in the period, Canucks with the pressure. Hamonick with the shot. It looks like it deflected in off Alex Chase on celebrating like he got it. Originally, they credited him with the goal, but then they gave it to Hamonick. Either way, 2-1 after one. Second period, Austin Matthews trying the Michigan lacrosse move, but thwarted by Horvat and Demko. Then Canucks power play. JT Miller in the middle of it again. Kind of a shot pass here. Brock Besser, nice job to knock in the rebound. Snaps his six-game goalless drought. 3-1 Canucks, but then the Leafs roar back. Nick Robertson, his first career NHL regular season goal. That's 3-2, and the Leafs were just all over Vancouver. Demko, though, with a larcenous save off Wayne Simmons playing his 1,000th NHL game tonight. That's one of the best of the year. But Brock Besser with the bad giveaway into the wrong guy. Gave it to Austin Matthews, who shelves it in one motion. 3-3, that's Matthews' 38th goal. Ties him for the league lead. Leafs relentless pressure, and... Austin Matthews with the long shot deflects in off Quinn Hughes. Matthews now leading the NHL with 39 goals. 4-3 Toronto after two. But in the third, the Canucks tie it. Tanner Pearson with the little deflection of the Tyler Myers point shot. Besser also an assist. Jack Campbell continues to look shaky in that leap net. So the Canucks realize shooting not a bad thing. They got the Leafs on the run and on a broken play, that's a goal for Alex Chason. Knocks it in. That was the game winner. Canucks had an empty netter as they snap a 12-game winless streak in Toronto. 3-1 and one on the road trip. Huge victory for Vancouver. The Whitecaps are looking forward to their first full season of home games at BC Place in a couple of years. They were excellent in front of the home supporters in limited games last year, going 6-1-1 in their eight matches. Tonight they played their home opener against New York City FC, who are the defending MLS Cup champions. Lucas Cavallini back to full health. Whitecaps need him to produce now in his third season in Vancouver. Thomas Hassall looking sharp early, point-blank chance handled well by Hassell. That has to give him and the team confidence after giving up four goals last week. A few minutes later, more NYC pressure, but off the crossbar. Helps to have a little bit of lady luck on your side. Whitecaps get their attack going. Lucas Cavallini in the box with the header off the service from Ryan Gold, but it stopped. But Cavallini showing some promise today. If he can score some goals, that will really help the Caps' cause. A few minutes later, Christian Dahomey with the cross, swing and a miss by Cavallini. Christian Gutierrez strikes it well, but just over the bar. So it's nil-nil at halftime, entertaining despite no goals. Second half gets a bit heated. NYC's Valentin Castellanos, the uh, golden boot winner last year, who scored the most goals. Big collision with Florian Youngwert. They go at it. Uh, both got yellow cards. Whitecaps much better defensively this week. How about this play by Tristan Blackman? Courageous tackle in the box. Got all ball. That could have been a penalty had he made body contact, but a great play. And young Thomas Hassall with his parents in the crowd, fabulous leaving a leaping save to deny Tiago Andrade. Nil-nil the final. Hey, the Caps will take that point after holding off a very strong New York City FC squad. Nil-nil the final at BC Place. I think we did well, uh, but, uh, you know, 
uh, it's always a little bitter when we don't when we don't win. But uh, it's compared to to last week, we are on Mount Everest now. So good. <laughs> when I was in the academy, they used to come and we would watch uh, the Whitecaps and the first team play before, and it was it was like for me as a as a young player, it was a huge spectacle for myself. So having them come and go from sitting in the stands watching it with me to now being in the stands again to watch me is it's a dream come true. Very good. Great family moment there. Back to the NHL. Habs and Oilers from Edmonton. Leon Dreisaitl, 38 goals. Second lead Austin Matthews. Evander Kane's been a decent producer in his time in Edmonton. Takes the feed from Dreisaitl. That's his eighth goal in his 17th game in Edmonton. It's 1-1. But the Habs regain the lead. The former Vancouver Giants star, Brendan Gallagher, on the power play, banging in the rebound. He's had a, some struggles this year. Nice to see him get one. His fifth of the year. 2-1 Montreal after one. Second period now tied at two. Nick Suzuki just moments after a goal was waved off that he had scored. Well, this one counts. It's a ripper past Mike Smith and the Habs leading 4-2 in the third. And we'll check out the NLL. Vancouver Warriors on the road in Halifax. And they led most of this game, but fall 14-12. Vancouver now 5-5. Five and five, And they return home to play the Toronto Rock next Saturday at Rogers Arena. West Vancouver's Molly Jepsen has won Canada's first gold medal at the Paralympics in Beijing. Jepsen took gold in the women's standing downhill. Jepsen, who's just 22, won four medals in Pyeongchang four years ago. Shows she's already up to five career Olympic or Paralympic medals, and she has more events today coming up in uh, Beijing. Canada won uh, Jepsen's gold and also had a silver and a bronze on day one of the games. Third round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational from Orlando. Bayhill playing very tough again today thanks to a stiff win, but some great shots. How about Victor Hovland at the 36-hole lead? Gave it up early, but got it back thanks to that eagle out of the bunker. Hovland, though, had a rough back nine, has dropped to third at six under. Taylor Gooch with the long birdie attempt here at 15. And that goes down. And he's tied for the lead at seven under. Billy Horschel got a lucky break at 18, got a free drop out of the Thick rough because of a sprinkler head, so it got him out of the rough and onto the fringe, and he promptly sunk the long birdie. He's tied with Gooch at the top at seven under. Top Canadian Corey Connors tied ninth at minus two. Nick Taylor's at plus three, tied for 42nd. LPGA is in Singapore for the HSBC Women's World Championship. Canada's Brooke Henderson in the mix. Her approach at the 12th, this is nice, almost holes it for an eagle, but just inches away, tapped it in for a birdie. She's at eight under, seventh place, just four back of the lead. Uh, Inji Chun of South Korea is the leader. Final round already underway in Singapore. They are 16 hours ahead of us. Day two of the Briar from Lethbridge, Alberta. Loaded field of 18 teams, including Brad Jacobs, the 2014 gold medalist from Sochi and a Briar champ from 2013, taking on Jason Gunlogson of Manitoba, one of three wild cards in the field. Jacobs Scores two on the draw here to win at 5-3. BC represented by Brent Pierce of New Westminster lost his opener 10-3 to Manitoba's Mike McEwen. Some Premier League to finish with. Liverpool trying to get within three points of first place Manchester City taking on West Ham. Only goal of the match coming off Sadio Mane's foot in the 27th minute. Trent Alexander delivering the service. They went to a video replay to make sure it was onside. It was. Liverpool win at 1-0. Seven straight victories now and just three points back of Man City who take on Man United tomorrow. That's it for sports. Nithu. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And when we come back, shoe collectors lace up for a major event in Vancouver this weekend. The highlights of SneakerCon next.
Well, imagine paying thousands of dollars for a pair of shoes. For some, yeah, likewise, for some sneakerheads, it is a reality, with many of them putting their best foot forward today, flocking to the so-called greatest sneaker show on earth. SneakerCon 2022 kicked off at the Vancouver Convention Centre after being cancelled last year due to COVID-19. Hundreds of rare sneakers were on display just waiting to be bought, sold or traded. There's also an authentication booth to verify if the Nikes you purchase are in fact authentic. Last year, a pair of Air Jordans sold on eBay for $57,000 purchased by a Canadian. Definitely not for someone on a shoestring budget. We're bringing our buyers and sellers together with a community of sneaker lovers and that is what SneakerCon fosters, just a, a true love of sneakers for the culture. They are a lot of high rollers here. If you look at some of the people's feet, I can tell you there is a lot of college funds on there. Got to watch for the knockoffs, I guess, just like anything. Exactly. Yes, there's some pretty nice sneakers there indeed. Well, nice weather as well. Right. Knockoffs or not, you can take out your kicks tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be a really nice one. A very similar weather picture to what we had today. So sunny skies, 11 for us near the water. A little bit warmer in the valley than Monday, the return of cloud cover. All right. Good to know. Enjoy while you can, everybody. Thanks so much for sharing some of your Saturday with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.